0: Tonight we we launch a new series, it's entitled Face-to-Face Encountering Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus. And so if you're going to be with us for the next 11 weeks, you're going to see a bunch of face-to-face interactions that Jesus has with different people all throughout the Gospels. Just a little snapshot of what you're going to experience is Jesus comes face-to-face with a skeptic, with a religious person, with a mistress, with a gangster, with a rich boy, just to name a few. So it is going to be a fun summer to see Jesus come face-to-face with all these people. And as you heard read by Stephen tonight Jesus comes face-to-face with the devil, the Antichrist. Christ comes face-to-face with the Antichrist here in the wilderness, And the question that comes out when you're reading this, when you hear about Jesus coming face-to-face with the devil, is like, what is going to happen here? What's going to be this experience, this interaction between Jesus, Son of God, and the Antichrist, the devil himself? And we start the passage tonight right before the temptation, right before Jesus comes face-to-face with the devil, and Jesus is uh, baptized, and it's this really interesting experience because Jesus shows up. John the Baptist has been baptizing people, he's been preparing the way for the Messiah, for Jesus. And John doesn't want to baptize Jesus because he realizes, listen, this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. He does not have sin. He does not need to be baptized as some sign and symbol of the forgiveness of sin. Instead, John should be baptized by Jesus, and yet Jesus is baptized. And it's this really supernatural, unique, special experience where the Spirit of God, like a dove, comes down onto Jesus. And you hear this this audible voice of God the Father from heaven saying, this is my Son in whom I am well-pleased. And it's this really special experience. And as we said earlier, you know, they had this special experience last night with these baptisms. And, and baptism for us is a sign and symbol of the forgiveness of our sins by the power and the blood and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And, and it's symbolic when you're baptized because you're baptized into the water, into death, and then you are raised to life. And it's symbolic of the water cleansing you and cleansing you of your sin and your forgiveness by faith in Jesus. But it's also symbolic because you are raised into a new life, a new life with Christ. And in this way, there's actually a connection between Jesus' baptism and the baptisms that we receive, the baptism that many of you have received, is that Jesus is not baptized as a, a forgiveness of his sins because Jesus is sinless. However, it is the launch or the inauguration of his public ministry. It is a baptism into a visible public ministry that he will have for the next three years or so until he's crucified, where Jesus will go out and perform miracles and signs and wonders. He'll preach about the kingdom of God. He will reveal to the world that he is, in fact, the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the one that has come to take away sin and to bring forgiveness. And so right after this really unique experience, you would expect for Jesus to go to the next town with all these followers that are going to be following after him after they've seen the, the Holy Spirit come down like a dove, and God the Father speak this audible voice of this is my son in whom I am well pleased, and now it's time to go. It's time to go to the next town. Let's do a miracle. Let's share. Let's talk about the gospel. And yet immediately Jesus goes to the wilderness. For 40 days and 40 nights, he's in the wilderness to fast. Alone. And this is where we pick up in verse 4, where it says this Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Immediately after the baptism, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, the hot, arid wilderness of Israel, alone for 40 days and 40 nights to fast, to be tempted by the devil. We don't really know fully why. You know, was it Jesus was going to have this face-to-face encounter with the devil to kind of say, listen, it's about to be my three years of public ministry, and I want to let you know who's running the show. You know, you're not going to tempt me. You're not going to lead me astray. I'm on mission. Maybe it's for all of those that we're going to be following him to know that the Spirit of God is uniquely in relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, in perfect community as one We don't really know, but we certainly do know that this story and this encounter that Jesus has with the devil is for us to recognize and realize something, to recognize that at the launch of every great and exciting journey, there will always be temptation. You've probably experienced that. Many of you are about to embark on something exciting, a new journey, a new stage of life, Some of you have thought about that. It's happened over the past couple years. And when you start that, when you launch into something new, there is always temptation. It is very evident. But not only to recognize that temptation comes when you're launching into something new and you're about to begin a new journey and a new stage of life, but also to realize how are you to combat temptation when you face it. And this is what Jesus reveals to us. What does it look like to combat temptation? temptation and so he's in the hot, arid, dry wilderness of Israel and we have this great line. He was hungry. He's been in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. this is the end near the end of his temptation. He's been fasting, he has not eaten and it's like he was hungry. You're like, yeah, he was hungry. Uh, You know, some of you can't skip a meal. That's me. I can't skip a meal. I'm like, I'm starving. I need to eat. Some of you are eating right now because you eat every hour, you know? It's just like you're going from meal to meal to meal, and his 40 days and 40 nights. He's not eating, and you read, he was hungry. You're like, that needs to be underlined, right? But it's so important that that's there. Here's why. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh, but he is in the flesh. He's fully God and fully man, And so he has this really supernatural and powerful fast of 40 days and 40 nights, but he is human. He feels hunger. He feels pain. He knows what it's like to be hangry, except for he never got angry. You know what I mean? He feels it. He feels weakened and fatigued. And it is right at this moment when he's hungry, when he's starving, when he's weak and fatigued, when the devil shows up. Isn't that when he always shows up, when you're weak, when you're fatigued, when you're hungry for something? It's right when he shows up. And he shows up to Jesus, and here's what he says. He says, the tempter, that's what he does, he tempts. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The the tempter, the devil, comes to Jesus and says, listen, you're hungry. I get it. Like, why are you doing this? You're the son of God. You don't need to do this 40 days and 40 nights fast. Eat. You have the power and the ability, right, to command these stones to become loaves of bread. And you like bread. So make the stones into bread and eat. Why are you struggling? Why are you suffering? Get out of it. Don't you think that would be better? Command these stones to become loaves of bread. This is the first temptation, and the first temptation is to the mind, You you read that, and you think that the temptation is simply basic. It's just like, he was hungry, so the devil came and said, turn the stones into bread so you can eat. But it's much deeper than that. It's much deeper than just some basic need to fulfill some cravings. See, Adam and Eve, in the very beginning of Scripture, they were tempted. They were tempted one time, and that's all it took. They couldn't make it past the first temptation. Like, Like us, that's our nature, right? They're tempted in the garden, and what are they tempted with? Fruit, something to eat. And they're there, and the tempter comes, and the tempter says to Adam and Eve, why don't you take and eat of this? Doesn't it look good? Don't you think this will be good? Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from the tree? This is probably going to be good for you. I mean, why are you withholding this? Why are you restricting this from you? Take and eat. And so Adam and Eve, together, they take And they eat. It was this temptation to believe that God's word was inferior to their own mind. See, that's the first temptation of the mind is to forsake God's word for your word. It's to forsake God's word for what you think. It is to elevate what you think over what God says. And so the devil comes to, to Jesus and says, Listen, like, why are you struggling? 40 days, 40 nights, you're preparing this whole thing. But, like, don't do that. Just turn the stones into loaves of bread and take and eat. The mind says when you're hungry, eat, so do it. The mind says a lot of things to us, right? You desire something, go get it. You're struggling, do whatever you need to do to get out of it. You want to experience something, go experience it. This is the first temptation. It is a temptation of the mind to elevate your mind Over God's word is to forsake God's word for your own mind and what does this lend towards it lends towards materialism right that the only thing that matters is matter that's what it lends towards to believe that the only thing that matters is matter and we are all tempted every single one of us we are all tempted to elevate ourselves over God to elevate what we think is good and what we think we need and what we think will be best over what God says is good and what God says is best And so the devil comes to him with his temptation, and he says, stop struggling. Just turn the stones into into bread. It's simple. But see, Jesus sees what he's doing, and, and here's how he responds. He says, but Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus sees what the devil is doing. He realizes it isn't simply just like you're hungry, turn the, the stones into bread, that he's trying to get Jesus to forsake the word of God and to elevate his fleshly desires, his earthly desires, what he thinks will be good in the moment over what God has called him to, what God has told him is good. And he says, listen, I don't live by bread alone, but I live by every word, every word. Not some words, every word that comes from the mouth of God, that comes from God's word. And what's so interesting about this whole entire chapter, this section here, is that all three of the temptations, Jesus responds with scripture. And he responds with scripture from one place in the Bible, and that's Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8 is written by Moses, and Moses is writing this near the end of his life, before his death, and the Israelites have been in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. Notice the connection. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years, just like Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. And at the very end of it, Moses is writing Deuteronomy to encourage them forward and to warn them about the temptations that are going to come because they are about to embark on a new journey. They're about to go into the promised land to take the promised land that God has given to them. And so as they've been through this process, preparatory time in the wilderness. They've been relying on God. They are now about to embark and Moses writes Deuteronomy and in Deuteronomy 8, all the words of Jesus, he connects here. He brings scripture to combat the first temptation and the second and the third because scripture is timeless and it is timely for each moment. And so he looks at The devil, and he says, I'm not going to forsake God's word. I know what God has called me to. I know what is right and what's good. You can tempt my mind. You can tempt me to elevate myself over the Father, my Father that I am in perfect relationship with, but I'm not going to do it because I live by the word of God. I don't live by bread alone. And so the devil now, he's, he's trying to figure out what to do, so he goes to the second temptation. He switches gears and look what he does. He says, the devil took him to a holy city, And set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The second temptation, the devil switches gears. The first time, Jesus responds with scripture. And so, what does the devil use in the second temptation? scripture. You notice that? So says, okay. Well, let me tell you what's written. It's written that if you throw yourself down, the angels are going to raise you up. You're the son of God, right? He comes, the second temptation here, to the will, and the will is to utilize God for yourself. It's, it's to twist and manipulate God's word and who God is to fit your desires. So he comes to him and he says, listen, okay, you want to use Scripture. Let me tell you what Scripture says. So why don't you prove it to me? Why don't you test God? Why don't you see if this works for you? And this is deep down a a desire or or our will is to utilize God for ourselves. Every single one of us here is tempted by this, right? Life is full of of broken expectations and, and hardship and struggle in different seasons. And when you're in different seasons of struggle and pain, you're not only going to feel frustrated, it's not only going to be hard, but you're going to feel confused. And we ask similar questions when we face these moments in life. And the questions are like, where is God right now? Does he care? Is there like some kind of punishment? What's happening? Why, why is God not showing up in my life? And then you begin, to, sometimes you get to the second level of temptation where like, well, maybe God isn't the way that I imagined. Maybe he's not exactly like I read in here. Maybe he's different. Maybe I I shouldn't be taking all of what's written in here, but just just some of it. And I can kind of manipulate God or, or utilize God to fit my own box, to really be a genie of my own creation, to be like a slot machine that he can provide what I need when I need it. And this is the great temptation of our cultural moment. This is the great temptation of our cultural moment is a temptation to the will, a will to utilize God, a desire to utilize God for yourself. It is to twist and manipulate and move God to fit the box that you've created. Because what happens is we go through life and we go through these different periods of struggle, not only of physical struggle or emotional struggle or a mental struggle, but spiritual struggle. And we want to feel connected. We want to feel loved We want to feel like everything is okay. We want to feel stable and at peace. And so sometimes we we have this temptation to kind of fit God into what we believe will make us feel connected, make us feel at pace, make us feel good. I want to read you a quote from uh, Deepak Chopra, who is one of the the leading movement leaders of the New Age movement. You know who he is, many of you. Here's what he says. He says, Socrates refused to neatly define the self he had in mind, just as Buddha refused to use words like God. Their reasons were the same. It defeats the truth to use words, since words imply that you know what you are looking for. Instead, truth is an experience. It cannot be anticipated any more than one can anticipate at age five what it will be like to go to college and get married and have children. Experience is fresh and new, or it should be. And thus, truth is fresh and new. From there, it is a small step to demanding that God be fresh and new. This is the great temptation of our cultural moment. Is to make truth something that's not written. There's no truth in words can't, this can't be true. Truth is found in experience. Therefore, God can become fresh and new because experience is in whose control? It's in your control. And so when you're struggling, when, when you're going through d- the disappointments in life and you're feeling beaten down, you're feeling broken down, you're having you know, spiritual struggles or emotional or mental or physical, whatever it may be, if you hold on to the belief that truth is an experience that you kind of control, and it can be fresh and new each and every day, and therefore God can be fresh and new, you've placed God within your control. You've put him in a box where you can generate experiences to feel like everything is okay, to feel connected, to feel at peace and stable, and to feel good. But the question is if you follow this logic, who's God? Well, you're God. Right? It is this will that we have to utilize scripture and to manipulate it and to move it so that God becomes what we imagine to make us feel good, to make us feel connected, to make us feel like we are in control. So we can create God to be some Jesus, you know, you can have some of this. You can have some Buddha, some Socrates, some Oprah, some Tony Robbins, some of your parents, some of your friends, some of just some things that you've experienced. You kind of take all of that, you put it in a pot, you blend it up, and there is God. And there is truth. And it can be fresh and new, and you can add more, you can take away. See, this, is, this second temptation that comes to Jesus is the great temptation that, is, that we are facing now, which is to utilize God for yourself. I want to show you uh, two video clips in a moment that I got online that happened this year on Earth Day. And Earth Day is a wonderful day. I love the earth, and we should celebrate the earth, and we should be excited about caring for the earth. And, uh, but there's these videos that I saw that happened at Brickell City Center, and it was a gathering to celebrate the earth. But it was a worship service. And let me just show you two video clips of what happened this year Uh, at Brickell City Center on Earth Day, so take a look. The first clip is like Brandon's dream. Like, hey, oh, <laughs> hey, right? Listen, I, I want to be very clear here. I have no problem with yoga and stretching and, and, and being still and meditating. These are really healthy practices. But don't fool yourself into thinking that this is just, you know, some some... Place to go to, to celebrate the earth. This is a worship service. And it's a worship service uh, of being tempted into believing that we can kind of fit God into our own box and He can be fresh and new as long as we generate these experiences that feel good to us. I want to read to you what the worship leader said in that second clip because you can't really hear it very well in the audio. She says this It is with great urgency that we come together to build and deepen our spiritual community as we delve deeper into our spiritual and compassionate heart. It is with great urgency that we come together to build and deepen, it's on us, to build and deepen our spiritual community as we delve deeper individually but collectively into our spiritual and our compassionate heart. Because truth is found inside your heart. God is found inside of your heart. And this is the great temptation that we face to believe this, and it is not a temptation That hasn't reached the church as well, is to make God look how you want him to look, to fit how you want him to fit. And so Jesus responds to the devil's temptation as he tries to twist scripture and manipulate God so that Jesus will utilize God for himself. And Jesus says to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's like, okay, you wanted to come at me with scripture? Fine. You wanted to use God's text? I'm going to give you some context Let me tell you actually what it says in Scripture. How do you combat temptation when the devil comes to you and when he's looking to twist Scripture, when he's looking to twist truth, when he's looking to to encourage you to utilize God for yourself, to elevate yourself over God and to make God whatever you think and whatever you feel? How do you combat it? You give context. You speak Scripture again when Scripture is being manipulated. I want to read you a parable that I found this week, and this is brilliant. I don't know where I, you know, who wrote it, uh, so I can't give credit, but I didn't write this. Here's what the parable says. Well, Sam, will you tell me the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Maybe one of the most famous parables there is. Yes, sir, I will, sir. Gladly I will. Here's the parable. Once there was this man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, And he fell among thorns, and those thorns sprang up and choked him. And as he went on his way, he didn't have no money. And there he met the queen of Sheba, and she gave him a thousand talents and a hundred changes of raiment. And he got into a chariot and drove furiously, and when he was driving under a big juniper tree, his hair got caught on the limb of that tree. And he hung there many days, and ravens brought him food to eat and water to drink. And he ate five thousand loaves of bread and two fishes— And one night when he was hanging there asleep, his wife Delilah came along and cut off his hair and he dropped and he fell on stony ground, but he got up and he went on and it began to rain and it rained 40 days and 40 nights and he hid himself in a cave and he lived on locusts and wild honey. And then he went on till he met a servant who said, come take supper at my house. And he made excuse and said, no, I won't. I have married a wife and can't go. And the servant went on into the highways and into the hedges and compelled him to come in. And after supper, he went on and he came down to Jericho. And when he got there, he looked up and saw the old Queen Jezebel sitting down way up high in the window, and she laughed at him. And he said, throw her down out there, and they threw her down. And he said, throw her down again, and they threw her down 70 times 7. And of the fragments that remained, they picked up the 12 basketfuls, besides women and children, and they said, blessed are the peacemakers, P-I-E-C makers, Now whose wife do you think she will be on that day of judgment? The parable of the Good Samaritan. You notice what has happened there if you've spent time reading scripture, right? is Everything is jumbled up. Every single different story all over the New Testament and Old Testament is all jumbled together. And see, what's so interesting about that story is that as you're processing that and as you're reading that, That is what the devil is looking to do, to mix things up and to jumble things up where you don't really know if this is true or if this is good or if this is right or or someone's saying this with authority and it seems like it's right and it seems like it's a good idea. So let me follow after that. And part of the problem can be is that when the devil comes to us and when he's looking to tempt you, to utilize God for yourself, to twist Scripture, to manipulate truth. If you don't know the context, you may think this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. You have to know the context. You have to know the context in order to refute the devil. And this, you know, maybe you've asked yourself this question before. Why is it important? I hear this in church. You've heard it here if you've been here for a while, why is it important for me to read and study the Bible on my own? Can, can I just come to church and, and listen to the pastor? Can I just go to community group and hear people? Can I just go on YouTube or podcast and I can listen to different sermons of different people I like? I mean, surely that's good. Yeah, that is great. But why is it important for you to read and study Scripture on your own? Because this is how you combat temptation, you have to know the context of God's text, to know that it's being manipulated, that it's being twisted, that what is being said is not true, and it is not wise. You have to know God's words so you can recall, and you can remember, and you can refute when truth is being manipulated. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 tells us about putting on the full armor of God and and the majority of the armor is all defensive. He says, listen, here's how you combat the devil's schemes. When he's coming to tempt you, you, put on the full armor of God, and he gives one weapon. Does anyone know what the weapon is? The sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. You have one weapon that combats the devil's schemes and temptations. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How do you fight temptation? The Word of God. So why is it important for you to spend time in God's word? Because it's how you fight temptation. If you continue to fall to temptation, if you don't even recognize temptation when it's coming, it's probably because you're not spending time in God's word for yourself. Not just hearing me or somebody else speak about it. That's good as well, but you need to spend time in it on your own. I want to give a challenge to you right now. If you have never read the entire Bible, I want to encourage you to read the entire Bible. You're like, what? How in the world am I going to do that? There's some books I never even heard of in there. That's okay. Thankfully, we're in 2018, and they make it real easy because they have a Bible in a year. It's like an app or a book you can buy, and you can go through the whole Bible in a year, and it helps you walk through. I want to encourage you to do that if you've never done that. And I want to encourage you to take time each and every day, whether in the morning or in the evening, a different time that you can find, and just spend time reading Scripture. Just read God's word. Learn about it and trust that it's okay if you pick it up and you don't know everything. And you read a chapter and you're like, I have no idea what I just read. Right? You've been there? That's okay because you have the sword of the Spirit. It's not your sword. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Actually, in Corinthians, it tells us that the Holy Spirit enables you to understand the deep things of God. God will give you His Word. He will reinforce truth in you. He just asked us to read it and to study it. And if you receive our weekly emails, at the very bottom of our weekly emails is the personal, personal worship guide. And a lot of you never get down to the bottom. But if you've gone all the way down to the bottom you would notice there's a personal worship guide. And that is there for you because you can use that on any passage. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know, I want to read the whole book of Matthew. I've, I haven't done that. So get the personal worship guide and start in chapter 1 and go through it. It's step by step of how you can read Scripture and study it on your own because that is your weapon. That is how you combat temptation is with the Word of God. You combat the temptation of the will with God's will. And God's will is found in his word. And so the devil is not successful again because Jesus knows the word of God. It is his words as he shares. Okay, again it is written. Let me tell you what it really says. You do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so the devil comes with one last attempt. And here's what he says in the third temptation. So he took, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. The last temptation is a temptation of the gut. It it is those baseline desires that we want. You see, Jesus desires your worship. He is Savior. He wants to be in relationship with you so that you can know that you're loved and forgiven, but that you can then worship him. And so the devil comes to him and he says, I know you're, you're looking to be worshipped. You're God, son of God. You don't need to go through this three years you know, of this like public ministry and then the cross and the whole thing. Just fall down right now and worship me. I'll give you everything you've ever wanted. See, the, ba- the last temptation is a temptation of the gut, which is to believe that everything that you want deep down can be found outside of here. Have you been tempted with that? To think to yourself, really? I mean, this book, is this really the source of truth? Is this really where I'm going to find the fulfillment of my desires? I mean, maybe some of it, but all of it in here? That's the last temptation. And the reason that this temptation is so strong for all of us, is because we believe that freedom is the restriction is the absence of restriction and the assertion and elevation of our own desires. So we believe freedom is. It is the absence of restriction, no restriction, and the elevation and assertion of our own desires. And so what happens is when we come to God's Word and we read it and we find that it conflicts with some desires that we have or some things that we enjoy or some things that we have believed in our minds that are good and maybe we've utilized God to make him fit that so we feel like it's good that we're doing this and we feel like it's satisfying some gut desires and we come to God's word and we realize that that may mean the removal of something or the restriction of something. What is the temptation? Well, I mean, I guess that doesn't apply to me, right? I'm going to keep going with what I believe is good. I'm going to worship my own desires instead of worshiping God. But the question is, is that really freedom? I mean, do you want to live in a country where there's no restriction and no law? Is that freedom? No, that's fear. <laughs> Can you imagine? But yet we believe our life is free if we have no restriction and we elevate our desires and we assert our desires as being king and queen of our life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, being free means being free for the other because the other has bound me to him. Only in relationship with the other am I free. And this is what Jesus says. He looks at Satan. He looks at the devil and he says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him. And behold, the angels were minister- came and were ministering to him. You see, freedom is not found in the worship of your desires. Freedom is found in the worship and service of God. That's where freedom is found. And this is what Jesus is teaching us here as he refutes this last and third temptation. Is that full, true freedom and satisfaction of our desires actually comes in worshiping and serving God? You see, freedom is found at the foot of the cross, it's when you lay your desires, and it's when you lay yourself at the foot of the cross and you find what? Love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. You look at all the times that you've failed temptations and you've given in and all the times that you will and you know that you're forgiven. You look at all the mistakes that you've made and the mistakes you know you're going to make and you know that you're forgiven. You look at all the things that you're struggling with and the ways that you feel disconnected and, and the broken expectations in life and you know that you're loved and that God is good and he'll be faithful. See, at the foot of the cross is where you find freedom And if you've been there, if you are a person of faith and you have laid your desires and laid yourself at the foot of the cross, knowing that Jesus has paid it all for you, that he has removed all your sin, that you are no longer a slave to sin, you're no longer a slave to fear, but you are a child of God, loved by God and free, then when you hear this tonight from God's word, you say, yes, yes, this is truth. Yes, I, I realize the lies that the devil has been feeding me, that my mind and what I think is most important, and that I can utilize God to fit the image that I've created him to be in, that I do sometimes worship my desires instead of worshiping God. And I, and I need to spend time knowing his word so that I can fight against the temptations that come my way. But if you've never laid yourself at the foot of the cross and found freedom there, then everything that has been said tonight by me and everything in God's word sounds foolish. It sounds completely foolish. Because what sounds like truth and wisdom to you is that matter is all that matters and God should be fresh and new and within your control and the worship of your own desires is the greatest thing to live for. But here's the good news. The good news is that The gospel of grace is available to you. It's available to everyone. We all fall into temptation, and faith does not remove temptation, but it exposes you to the reality of temptation, and it gives you the power of the Spirit through the word of God that you can claim against the devil when he comes to you with his schemes, and you say, no, no, that's a lie. That's not true, and you can fight it. You see when you come face to face with Jesus at the cross it enables you and it gives you the excitement and the joy to come face to face with God in his word so when you come face to face with the devil you can say not today satan not today will you pray with me